So our alphabet tour of the Ontario Hockey League continues. No complaints, no criticisms. We're going alphabetically. So if you're wondering where Windsor is at the end of the OHL alphabet, we will get to the Spitfires in due time. But this week, it is an opportunity to check in with the Guelph Storm and Tony Saxon, who has been covering the Guelph Storm since I covered the Guelph Storm. And Tony, I think that makes both of us a little long in the tooth when it comes to this game. Thanks for saying I'm old, Mike. I <laughs> that. 2004 was when I started the second half of the season. Uh, I've been covering them since then. I tried to put it nicely. I mean, I think we're both advanced in, advanced in years in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> so it occurs to me, and now, of course, as the regional editor of Guelph Today, you continue to cover the storm. And it occurs to me that when things resume this fall, you and I are basically going to be picking up right where we left off because we were in the same building covering the same game on March the 11th, 2020, when the game ended and the world essentially came to a stop. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a very, very long time ago. Uh, um, now that you, you mentioned it, it's just, uh, it's, it's been crazy for everyone, but uh, for, for people like us where junior hockey is such a, a huge part of our lives and our jobs, um, I think it seems perhaps a little longer, maybe maybe outside of the players, probably uh, we're feeling it uh, just as strong. It was a sixth place Guelph Storm team uh, at that time that probably was thinking of maybe being a bit of a spoiler come playoff time. It, it looked like the Rangers and Storm might have met in that first round of those playoffs back in 2020. But the other thing that I keep hearing from Storm fans, Tony, is that the defending OHL champions are still based at the Sleeman Center because there hasn't been a champion awarded in a couple of seasons now. So there's a badge of honor. <laughs> You're right. Technically, you are Technically, right. yeah. So, so what do the defending OHL champions look like as we look ahead to the fall and get back into some OHL season, OHL hockey? Boy, just just like uh, almost every other team in the league, going to be very, very young. Going to have 10 or 12, uh, likely 10 to 12, 10, 13 rookies on the team for sure. Um, I just noticed today there are two picks in the CHL import draft. are also both 16 right now, so they even went young there. Uh, in all likelihood, they have one operator on the, on the squad right now in defenseman Clarkie Bear. Uh, that could change. Obviously, they could add somebody along the way, and, and they might want to do that. Um, but it's going to be a very young team, uh, a group of 19-year-olds that really um, were third and fourth liners uh, when the, when things ended. And, and we're going to see how they develop. We're, we're going to see a lot of uh, people get a chance. And I think uh, some players are going to take advantage of that chance. We're going to see some kids really take a big step. Um, and, and proof will be in the pudding. You, you've got an opportunity now. It's interesting, Tony, when, when you say that and talk about these, you know, this group of 19-year-olds that we're going to see how they've developed. And, and usually we'd look at a team in the OHL with a, a good core of 19-year-olds as a team that's sort of coming of age in the junior hockey cycle. But the great wild card for the Guelph Storm and for every team in the league as we start things back up in the fall is what did the year off do by way of or to, to either hurt development or how did guys manage to find ways? We know they've been trying to find places to play and, and some have gone overseas and some have played in that 
tournament down in Erie, et cetera. But the real wild card affects every one of the teams in this league. What does development look like, or was it stagnant over the last year and a bit? Yeah, and, and hockey development, and, and some of these kids would have found ice time and found ways to skate. And um, but but by and large, we're going to see what happened with some of these people physically, how they developed over the last year and a half. One of the great stories uh, of the last season we were able to play was the Nico Dawes story. And and I, I think a lot of people that covered the storm as closely as, as you would have may not have been as surprised as people from outside the organization, but that's obviously a, a key piece that the storm will be missing. And, and a great story though, still that should probably be celebrated even as we look ahead to the new season. Yeah, it was, it was a, a great story and great the way it happened. It didn't just sort of happen in a vacuum. I think the best part of that story is that, and a lesson to a lot of young players is that Nico Dawes had a, I think, a, a heart to heart with himself and said, if I'm going to give this a real shot, if, if I'm really going to try and make the most out of this, then I've got to make some changes. He got in much better shape. He lost some weight. He became much more focused mentally. And, and that played off, uh, played off in his game. And, and I think it was a credit to him the way he did it, the, the commitment he made. He didn't just wait for it to happen. He didn't blame other people for not playing much. And he said uh, this is on me to do the most I can. And, and that's what impressed me most about Nico's that the changes he made, he took it on himself to do it. We will not be seeing any Eastern Conference opposition this coming season until, of course, one of the teams from the West meets a team from the East in the OHL final. What do you think of the conference-heavy schedule this year? Um, I've never been a fan of playing the same team sort of five times in uh, three weeks like it happens sometimes, and this kind of enhances that, but it's understandable. You want to cut down on travel. You want to cut down on exposure. You want to cut down on costs. I mean, we, we still don't know how many... If any fans are going to be allowed in the stands, it might be reduced. Um, they've got to find ways to, to make it a little less uh, expensive for teams, even if the season goes ahead with some fans in the stands, because some teams just can't afford all the travel and if they're not getting that revenue. But also the safety factor, the less exposure, the better. Um, the less travel, the better, um, at least for this year. You talk about those fans and, and how many will be allowed into the arenas. I'm certainly hopeful as we continue to ramp up vaccinations that we can uh, have full houses again around the Ontario Hockey League, but we'll let the medical experts make that decision. Fans, though, generally, there is a hard core of fans for this junior game. But I feel, and, and you mentioned it at the outset, Tony, it, it feels like so long, perhaps next to just the players, uh, guys like you and I who have been in the routine since the early 2000s of just you know, 68 games and grinding through another season. It feels like so long since we've been at an arena to watch a junior hockey game. Do you think it's going to take a moment to get fans re-engaged with these teams and with this league? I think your hardcore dedicated fans, your season ticket holders, they're missing it as much as we are. And they're, they're chomping at the bit just to go see their team and follow their team again. I, I think what the challenge is going to be for a lot of teams is, is that casual fan, that fan that comes uh, to four, five, six, seven, eight games a year with his family for a night out. That's where teams are really going to have to start marketing again and really focus their efforts on, on the awareness and getting those people uh, to make that commitment again. You, you Guelph will have its uh, 1,800 season ticket holders, its 2,000 hardcore fans. It, it's the other 2,000, those, those casual fans, those once every month kind of fans those are the ones I think that the teams are really going to have to market to. 
maybe with the uh, number of games between the Storm and the Rangers this season, that'll help because we know the fans from both of those cities love to travel to the visiting barn. That's right. I'd love to see some numbers on that, uh, exactly what it is. I know uh, I, I know it's quite a few, and certainly all the parents uh, show up in, in Kitchener all the time. Uh, the lobby's quite packed afterwards. Uh, we played 10 times this year, and, and 12 plays Owen Sound 12 times. So The Platers versus the former Platers, or something like that. Well, the yeah, no, both former Platers, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we call this podcast OHL Stories for a reason. We're going to have a feature interview with George Burnett, the head coach and general manager there in Guelph in just a moment. But uh, as you mentioned, Tony, covering this league and this team specifically, the Guelph Storm, since 2004. Do you have a favorite OHL memory or story or multiple, if you like? Ah, uh, boy, there's a lot of stories I'd like to tell you. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I, I think the one that I always tell people that I, that I look back and laugh on now and, and maybe didn't laugh at the time, but uh, um, a number of years ago when Dave Barr was, was running the Guelph Storm, uh, I went over one day and the, they were just starting the playoffs and I wanted to ask him about a, a, a defenseman named Patrick Moran would be playing because he had been hurt. So I went into Dave's office and uh, Dave said, oh, just close the door, Tony. Oh, okay. Well, Dave had been upset about something I had written, um, and Dave wanted to let me know that he was upset about something I had written. And Dave went on a, I'm guessing about a 10 to 12 minute tirade, um, as I just sat there with my mouth shut, um, telling me, now I got along with Dave, like this is an isolated incident, but uh, telling me how I hadn't written anything good about this team in three years. And, and the funny part was, I, as, he's, as he's going red and banging the table and screaming at me, I look over his shoulder, and on his bulletin board, there's three of my stories uh, laminated and pinned up on his board about things the team had done in, this, in the community and good news stories. And he just screamed at me and screamed at me, and I, I later found out that all the players in the dressing room had gone quiet because they were listening to it through the ductwork as he just tore a strip off me. And then he, he suddenly stopped. I hadn't said a word. He stopped. He took two deep breaths. He looked at me and said, okay, so you wanted to know if Moran's playing tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> These are the trials and tribulations of a beat reporter, Tony. This is the stuff that happens. Oh, he, he was hot. And, and we were, you know, it cleared the air a bit. We had a professional relationship. And uh, it, it, it was one of those moments. They happen. I'm sure nothing like that has ever happened with George Burnett, right? No, George is a little, uh, at least with me, I mean, he's, he's not like some of the things I've said or written, and, and we'd have a dis discussion about it. George isn't the kind to, to scream at me or, or get that intense with me. He's, he's very professional, and I think uh, George has been around a, a long time and understands the job I have to do and, and respects that. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're buddies, uh, but uh, George and I have a, what I, I would say is a good professional relationship. I think the, the number one thing that anybody should know about or remember about George Burnett and my broadcast partner, Chris Pope, has found himself on the wrong side of this. And a former colleague of mine I worked with at Sportsnet 590, the fan, Greg Brady, got on the wrong side of this. And that is being late for a scheduled meeting with George Burnett. He is a stickler. If the meeting's at 1.30, be there at 1.30. If you need to interview a player before the game, make sure you're within that allowed 90-minute window. You, you've never missed the night. You've never been late for anything with George. That's what makes it the relationship as good as it is, right? 
<laughs> George has rules and he expects them to be followed. And, and George was brought in because he was a certain type of coach at a certain point in time. And the organization was looking for, uh, for a, a good coach who also ran things a certain way. And, and he certainly has done that in Guelph. Old school for sure. And here is our feature interview with George Burnett. Well, George, here you are, uh, back behind a bench. Didn't take long to uh, come back behind one. I'm suspecting that even when the OHL asked you to help out in Flint, you thought maybe behind a bench is where you wanted to still be? Well, it was uh, you know the first time in, in nearly 30 years that I wasn't, so it, it was a change. I, I enjoyed the year very much. I think the, uh, the year in Flint was uh, very positive. Uh, I really enjoyed working with uh, with Ryan Oulihan and uh, uh, Joel Stefan and just the group the group there. Uh, um, I think it was there was positive things done. It was it was fun to be a part of that and and uh, uh, certainly the coaching staff led by Ryan and Eric Walwood and uh, uh, Scotty uh, uh, did uh, did great work and uh, really put uh, the, you know the foundation in place and uh, it was it was fun to sit back and, and watch them. It was fun to, fun to sit back and watch other coaches in the league and, and take a little stock in your own your own career and uh, and and uh, regroup it wasn't uh, initially the intention here uh, I had had some conversations with Mike Kelly and kind of knew what his uh, his plan was and and um, went through the I guess the the, the channels the, the appropriate channels with my position uh, uh, you know representing the league uh, uh, with mr. branch and and uh, to, uh, to have an opportunity to speak to uh, um, you know the ownership here when uh, when it was clear Mike was leaving and and it didn't start out being a, a dual role it was it was you know my understanding going into the, the meeting that it was uh, to talk about uh, you know possibly being the, the, the uh, considering the general manager's position and it, it grew from there and uh, you you, uh, you never want to be uh, uh, you know kind of in place uh, you know uh, because of uh, you know things not going the right way but uh, I've said the utmost respect for Mike and have had he's been a mentor for for many years and was was a part of me coming to Guelph the first time I came here and uh, 20 years ago so um, you know things happen uh, they happen for a reason it was the right time uh, uh, it's exciting to uh, to be back uh, I feel connected to this community for whatever reason I've stayed close to a number of people that are uh, that are still here and and uh, my daughter works uh, at Laurier. She, she's coaching lacrosse at uh, Laurier, where she graduated. And uh, my son lives with, here with me and works from home. So it's uh, it's uh, it's been a nice uh, nice fit so far. Going back to the move to Flint, what's that conversation like with the league? Well, I think it was uh, um, you know we're we're well aware of all the the different things that went on leading mm-hmm. up to um, that. You know, circumstance or a set of circumstances, and it was really just, I, I think, uh, um, uh, an opportunity to maybe provide a little bit of experience and st- some stability. Um, you know, as I said, when when the league, it was it was unique that the league was, you know, the the, the group that hired everybody uh, to go in and, and do what the do what they've done, and uh, um, you know, but I, I think to 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 take that approach and to have it work out as as positively as it turned out was uh, was uh, was very unique as well and uh, oftentimes uh, I was you know certainly involved in some discussions but uh, uh, you know with with the staff and what have you but uh, but uh, you know clearly uh, Ryan was the guy and and uh, as it turns out it was a, a terrific decision he's done a terrific job and I really enjoyed the, the the relationship with him it was you know when you sit back and you 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 offer, uh, or you don't offer unless you're asked. Or I, I didn't. I don't think I, I got into a situation where I really um, 
um, allowed my my coaching hat to be uh, on unless I was asked a question. And uh, certainly, dealing with the highs and lows of, of the Ontario Hockey League, you uh, you have a different perspective. I think when you when you have coaching experience. So uh, I hope that uh, you know Ryan feels positively about the the year. We we've stayed in contact, and I have the utmost respect for what he's done. And I, I think he uh, enjoyed the relationship. I, I don't want to speak for him, but it was uh, it was positive. We talked a lot and. Uh, even when I wasn't with the team, I think it was uh, uh, an opportunity for you know him to you know bounce the odd thing off me and get a perspective that uh, um, you know might might have been the same, but maybe a little different. And and uh, he's had great experience with his uh, you know his his tenure with Stan in, in North Bay as well. So uh, uh, it uh, it just it, it worked out, and uh, uh, the conversations were uh, you know were all very positive. Certainly, they wanted uh, a certain. T- um, whether it was experience or stability, whatever the case may be, uh, they wanted certain things uh, uh, in place uh, to uh, to move forward with uh, uh, what had gone on, and, and I, can't, I can't say there was any uh, interference. Any, um, you know, I, I, I met with Mr. Nelson on a, a couple of occasions. Took it; it wasn't him asking to see me. It was me reaching out to him. To, you know, we were uh, we were still using his money, and uh, <laughs> so I, was, I, I thought it was important for him to understand, you know, why we were making decisions, and uh, had uh, you know the utmost respect for. Uh, uh, for him and and, uh, and and the relationship and, and recognizing the circumstances and, and uh, abiding by uh, whatever the, the the rules were were that were set in place. So it was uh, it was a positive year. It was it would have been very easy to stay and uh, and continue and and uh, um, enjoyed the scouting part of things a lot more in the rinks and being involved in the draft and and uh, supporting the, the real good staff there led by Joe Stefan and uh, Dave McParland as far as preparing for that I think they had a, a draft and I think they're uh, you know there's a, there's a foundation of players there now that uh, those guys were responsible for over the last two years that uh, uh, and really just putting a, an environment or, or having a small piece uh, uh, part in, in putting the, the the plan in place as far as the environment goes for players to come to Flint uh, it's it's actually uh, despite what uh, you know, maybe some of the the opinions are out there. It's it's a pretty neat place, and the facilities outstanding. They're they're state of the art underneath uh, as far as the resources and the facility that the guys are involved in on daily day to day basis. Uh, you know, dressing room, uh, video theater, weight room. Um, it's real special. Their school is outstanding. A relationship with the school there, and and uh, uh, where the where the billets are. Uh, there's it, it. There's not a better place. And uh, so it, it's uh, getting past that. Uh, uh, you know that stigma or whatever that's uh, that's out there. And I think they're doing a good job of, of uh, creating that. And you, and you look at uh, the number of players that have made commitment to be there again this year. Uh, I think that happens a couple, two, three years in a row. Then uh, uh, all that nonsense is behind them. So. Of all the stops in the coaching career, George, the longest, of course, was in Belleville, a team that no longer uh, exists in the Ontario Hockey League anyway. How difficult was it to see uh, that franchise come to an end? Well, it was it was disappointing. I, I, I really do. Uh, you know, I, I look back now, and, and we had 11 uh, good years. Uh, you know, there was highs and lows, uh, uh, more highs than lows in my mind, but uh, um, it's, it's, a, it's a junior hockey town, and uh, as I said, I, I'm sure uh, I don't, uh, I'm not sure how the American League will will uh, will go there, but I know what they've done to make the American League go there. And uh, <laughs> as I said, I I, uh, I guess in my my own uh, very selfish opinion, if just a little bit of that had of uh, had of uh, taken place, uh, uh, you know, the team would probably whether 
I'd be there or not, I don't know. But uh, certainly the the team would would have a chance to be there. I think it's a it's really unfortunate to have that hole in the Eastern Conference uh, between Oshawa and Peterborough and out to Kingston and, and, and Ottawa. And I'm I'm sure it's. Uh, um, you know, there's there's probably many that feel the same way, but uh, um, you know who knows. And uh, there's a lot of great fans, a lot of great people that uh, over 11 years you meet in, in a time when you spend uh, that amount of time in a community and live in the community for that length of time. Uh, you know, bought and sold homes there, and 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 had lots of great relationships. And and uh, you know, you you uh, you're, you're disappointed for those people that supported the team uh, as as well as they did. And and yet, business is business, and. Uh, uh, decisions are made based on uh, lots of different things that uh, uh, you know some that I'm probably not privy to but uh, uh, it's it was it was disappointing to move it was a unique transition to to go with the team or stay with the team uh, to Hamilton and then and then on to Flint but uh, um, you know an 11 years that uh, we'll always uh, remember co- uh, you know very fondly of uh, the people and and, uh, and and the real good things that happened when we were there you've coached in numerous leagues including the National League what is it about the OHL that seems to fit your style so well. Well, I, I you know, I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I, I think the league is, is, uh, um, you know, the leadership of the league and, and the way, um, you know, the details are taken care of, uh, the profile of the league, the, uh, the stability of the league, the, uh, uh, the best players play in our league. Uh, I think, uh, um, you know, it, it's really just a smaller scale professional, well-run professional league. And, and I think that, uh, players sometimes not until well after they're gone recognize how well they're treated and how well they're taken care of and and uh, uh, the emphasis on education the uh, uh, you know the product uh, to be involved in in a small way with the with the development of young guys to, to try and become the best they can be um there's there's there is lots of highs and lows and you're you're dealing with something different every day as as a coach uh as a coach and general manager you have the opportunity to you know be involved in uh, in uh, in the scouting side of things as well but we've put a good people uh, good group in place and i think that was a big part of uh, uh of coming here and being in a dual role is is having a real quality group uh, of people to uh, to take care of some of those details and and uh, you know this year really focus on coaching and focusing on you know what we have and evaluating what we have and what we need to do to to uh, you know, return this uh, this organization to uh, uh, you know the top where uh, they belong and where uh, they've been for many many years. Speaking of players, I got to ask about uh, two specifically because uh, you've got a young kid here in Guelph who's a defenseman that spends probably as much time inside the offensive blue line and in, as inside his own. And if I think back to those days in Belleville, I think you had a kid like that there too in uh, PK Subban. Besides the offensive prowess of these defensemen, Subban and Merkley, do you see any other comparisons? Well, they're they're different. Uh, they're different people for sure. Um, you know, I, I think uh, you know I've only starting the relationship with Ryan here, and and um, you know there's a lot of wonderful things about his game, and I think he he does recognize that if he's going to continue to to grow as a player, that that other areas of the game will have to uh, have to continue to develop. I, I don't think that's a big secret. Uh, um, you know, he, he knows that. Uh, and interesting enough, uh, we were able to arrange a, a couple of days with he and PK this summer to to work out and, and be on the ice a little bit together so my my goal with with all that wasn't to talk about you know the way we would run our program or my my situation or my relationship with him more just about what it actually takes to be a player in the national hockey league and uh, so i think that that will uh, um 
over time i think you know it's not going to happen over day uh over over you know one or two days it's just going to take time to recognize uh, i think he he's uh, he's going through now his draft year where he's under the microscope each and every night and and uh, you know the odd night where there's a setback uh, on you know whatever part of the game uh, is is of concern uh, uh you know to regroup and and uh, and just establish real good habits uh, uh he's a special player there's no question uh, <coughs> I think his. Uh, uh, I don't think it's a, a, the the uh, the lack of being able to play the game defensively, uh, using his great feet, his great mind, and his great in a stick to to defend against guys that are maybe bigger and stronger. Um, that's where they might differ. PK was a, a much bigger, uh, more uh, more physical uh, player, and I, and I think that in in his case, he he did have skills and quickly gained the respect for having those skills. But uh, I think once he established himself. As in his first year in Belleville and recognized that there was an opportunity potentially for him to be a pro hockey player uh, and particularly after he was drafted by Montreal he became very determined in uh, in playing the game at both ends of the rink and playing the game real hard uh, defensively and you see the likes of Subban or Ryan Ellis or some of those players that, that have, have been so offensively uh, gifted in our league uh, that have turned into pros that you know they still contribute offensively but they, they play the game the right way behind their own red line and, and those are little things that uh, that I'm sure Ryan and Owen Lalonde and, and all the other young players in, in, in the Ontario Hockey League not just with our program will learn as they as they go through this experience Merkley and Subban just two of the names obviously that have uh, been under you and learned from you um, going back to your playing days a London night what That's was a long time I know <laughs> and uh, people Ranger fans listening to this might uh, not know that you were a London night um, what are some of your fondest memories from playing in this league well, it uh, you know it was uh, the late seventies, early eighties. The league was much different. I wasn't going to say when, George. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it, but uh, it was it was uh, it was a different time. Uh, the league was much different at that time. I think, uh, in fact, uh, I know that you know with the leadership of Mr. Branch, I think that was year two, maybe of his uh, his tenure in the league. So things were changing. Uh, the emphasis was was just starting to be on you know the student athlete and on school as being important uh, uh, there was still a lot of nonsense that went on on the ice the the, the style of play was different uh, uh, you know I don't uh, uh, I remember a lot of those uh, those Kitchener London matchups uh, Scotty Stevens Al McInnes, uh, um you know there was there was a lot of great players uh, in both both programs and in, in, in particular that at that time Kitchener Brian Bellows uh, um, there was uh, they were they were big teams and they were more cup teams in the, you know in those in those in those years so our challenge for for league titles and those things so it uh, I don't know if the relate or the uh, the rivalry the Kitchener London uh, rivalry was maybe as intense then as it is now but uh, for lots of different reasons but it, it the league was a different it was a different time I uh, you know I throw the three years I went uh, uh, you know played in London um, still connected with a few of the players that uh, uh, that I played with um, you know, of course, Donnie Brankley uh, was—he was the guy, and, and uh, we, we lost him this summer, and that was very sad. Uh, uh, to, and, and I'm sure a lot of teams will miss uh, seeing him, uh, uh, you know, uh, just being in the, from being in the league for such a long time. But uh, uh, coached by Bill Long for a couple of years, Paul McIntosh for my final season. Uh, it was—it was—it was, it was uh, an interesting time. Um, but I think the league has changed so much now, and I and I you know still still recall those days when I'm dealing with certain situations of you know what it was like, but what it's like now, and the opportunity. Opportunities that are now available to young guys, both on and off the ice, academically, and, and uh, the support the teams provide now—just um, a whole different, 
set of circumstances, but fond memories. Uh, still keep in touch with my billet, and uh, uh, she's as active now as she was then, and uh, I think she's 87 or 88 now, but still on the go every day, and we have a great conversation every time we uh, get a chance to chat. So those are those are memories that you hope uh, every young player has a chance to have a billet relationship like I did uh, and, and uh, recall fondly the, uh, the time they spent in the league. That's awesome. Is this league uh, in a better place now? George, I mean, there's a lot of debate about that among fans, and having played when you played, and, and you mentioned David Branch just kind of coming in, uh, how is this league doing today? Well, I think it's, you know, they, they talk about being the best development league in the world. I don't, I don't think there's anything that can uh, can question that from, and, and, and when I say that, it, it's not just the on-eggs product and, and the best players playing in our league. It, it's, it's all the things. I mean, I, I really do look at, you know, when you look at the National Hockey League, and of course, in the Almost being in the center of the universe here in the hockey universe, you uh, uh, with with uh, with Toronto now, and, and uh, uh, you see a lot of the things that have happened in the National Hockey League. But they uh, they oftentimes take their uh, uh, you know they're in, in many cases they're a little a little behind some of the initiatives that our league takes, whether it's concussion protocol or or uh, you know check uh, head checks or checking from behind or just you know, just the environment. And uh, um, they're 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 getting closer. But I, I really think that. Uh, uh, the ownership, uh, the the twenty owners, uh, and, and the leadership of our league, uh, you know, they make a lot of these things. Uh, 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 take the initiative with a lot of these things, and and I think people follow, and I think it's for a reason because uh, they've done such a great job in uh, in creating an environment that's. Uh, our game is fast. Our game is skilled. Uh, uh, there's room in our game for all sorts of players. You don't have to be six two and two hundred pounds and and uh, you know uh, be involved physically every night. There's just, you know compete and and size and skill and speed and and uh, it's uh, it's a fun time to be a part of that. And as a coach, um, you you need to change some of the things that you you've done over the years. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I think it was positive for me to to, to sit back last year and, and watch and learn and. And uh, assess and and, uh, and tinker a little bit with uh, you know some different thoughts of, of moving forward and, and being a coach in this league with young kids and and uh, social media is a big part of our game now uh, like it or not uh, <laughs> uh, we're podcasting I'm, I'm, right yeah, now I'm not a uh, I'm not a Twitter guy but uh, maybe some at some point in time but it, it's uh, it, it's fun how uh, to see how many different things are now involved in the game that weren't uh, even a consideration uh, not so long ago you mentioned how the game has changed but. I think my math is correct. You started coaching when you were 27. Is that, is that correct uh, about that? About that about time, that? Yep, yeah, full time. Yep. How, how has your coaching technique changed to go along with how not only the game has changed, but also the players have changed? Well, I, 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 I hope. I mean, it's probably not a, uh, you know, probably talking to some kids that have played for me back then and maybe now <laughs> might, might be a little better uh, approach on that. I, I, I hope I'm able to adjust with, with the changing times. Uh, uh, and and uh, there's certainly a, an emphasis on pace and skill and, and uh, attack and speed and all those things. And we've made some, I think we've made some good adjustments with, with this group and, and our coaching staff uh, focusing on certain areas. And, and uh, uh, as we as we put our plan in place here with Guelph and, and, and move forward. But, uh, you know, I think over the years you, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, whether you were to talk to a, um, you know any of the guys that have stand in, in North Bay or Peter DeBoer or Steve Spot or any of the guys that have been in the league for many 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 years is is and not that it was a you know an intimidation or a fear or a, I mean there's right now there's there's no uh, I'm not saying that was a big part of, of how you approach things or uh, but I, I think uh, 
there's no question that kids are, are motivated by different things today, and uh, uh, they just want to know that they have the best, uh, you know, the circumstances of which kids come into our league now is significantly different mm-hmm. than uh, uh, than when they, uh, uh, you know, when they come into the league, you know, even five or ten years ago, let alone 30. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, kids coming up through um, dealing with adversity, sometimes their first adversities are now in our league, you know, the first time that they've had to sit out of the lineup or, or not be on the power play or, or uh, be in a, in a role as opposed to being the key guy. And it, it, uh, it takes some time and, and support and, and uh, having all the different support groups around them uh, that, uh, that we now have in place, uh, whether it's on or off the ice, uh, skating coaches and nutrition people and, and uh, uh, mental health co- uh, you know, coaches and advocates. And uh, it, it's just uh, it's many, many uh, you know, people that, that go into an organization and uh, you want to make sure that you... Uh, have covered off all the bases and have every level of support for these kids that we possibly can and and uh, if, if we do then I think they'll appreciate the time that, and, and the energy that you, you put into uh, allowing them to come to the rink and, and have no uh, uh, no stones unturned and have no excuses and that's what we try and eliminate every day. We've got to let you get ready for a game here but uh, you did mention Stan Butler, Pete DeBoer, among the winningest coaches in the Ontario Hockey League. You're in that club. You're in the same conversation. You sticking around till you take over Kilray's numbers? <laughs> well, uh, as I said, it's it's uh, you know Brian is uh, uh, you know I, I, a very special individual, and, and uh, it's great to see him still now uh, in the rinks uh, doing some scouting. Or when you go into Ottawa, not there nearly as much, but in the years in Belleville, uh, we we uh, we coached against each other a long time, and, and even once he he stopped coaching, uh, always took time to say hello. And uh, I think that's one of the the great uh, human stories of of our league. Is you have an individual like that that has so many records and is so highly thought of in Hockey Hall of Fame, and he always takes time to talk to, and I'm sure it's not me or anything about me. It's more just the young player or the young coaches, the guys that have been in the league, the guys that came after. Uh, he always takes time to, to say hello and, and uh, share some uh, some stories because there's always a story or two. And, uh, uh, and, and to uh, we've had... Uh, you know, a few playoff series over the years that uh, were uh, were heated, and uh, uh, on both sides, both teams uh, having a chance to be successful. But it's uh, it's pr- some special achievements that Brian is, uh, and I, I'm not sure there's uh, anybody that's going to be able to catch some of those numbers. But uh, uh, to have uh, coached against Brian, coached against Brian, uh, Bert Templeton and his Larry Mavity, uh, you know, those were always fun and interesting times for a young coach that didn't know anything uh, at the time. And and to uh, uh, I can remember uh, very quickly uh, the, the first uh, week or two that I was hired in the league and and Bert Templeton called me we were we were playing uh, one day and he called me down to have breakfast with me and I still remember the conversation like it was yesterday and and uh, those are those are special memories he was an interesting individual and uh, um a lot of battles, but you look at the success and how he changed over time to to build a t- uh, you know many teams and many programs and, and be successful. And uh, uh, those conversations are special, and, and unless you've been a part of them, it's it's tough to really explain. So, Can you tell us that conversation? <laughs> uh, prob- probably not. But, <laughs> but just you know, he, I know he was uh, you know he was. Uh, he was trying to find out a little bit about me to maybe give him the end. She was, uh, he was, you know, we talked a little bit about players and and uh, you know would there be potential for a move. He had a pretty good team that year, and you know, so there's there's little things, and you know, when you look back on it now, you know what he was talking about. It was it was you know he was challenging, he was testing, he was trying to maybe steal something, and uh, but that's that's uh, to be expected and understood, and and uh, I think when uh, when pl- when new coaches come into our league this year, uh, you know, now and over the last few years, or when you're, I guess, considered. Maybe Maybe one of the veteran guys in the league. It's uh, I think it's it's important to 
welcome them and you know and and support them and and uh, offer up a uh, you know an opportunity to chat if there's if there's anything that uh, you can help with so uh, um, I think we've got a lot of a lot of work ahead of us here in, in Guelph we're excited to be uh, to have our group together um, we want to make some some real serious progress this year and uh, uh, I think uh, there's some good uh, good pieces uh, in place and, uh, and the future's bright it's good to have you back behind the bench George thanks for this good thank you appreciate it Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.